The theme for the uh, evening talk view is uh, mindfulness and uh, society. Just like uh, to mention just before uh, speaking to you that with the uh, day that we have uh, tomorrow, that the intention is to explore further some of the uh, the themes, of course, that we've had, to allow that flow through as we've been doing until around 12.30 and the lunch at one o'clock and in the afternoon period just to generate some space for people to have a more uh, ease uh, afternoon and that will be uh, from <coughs> around 12.30 through until five o'clock, when once again we have uh, two more uh, speakers. If people during the afternoon wish to come and uh, for the th three to three thirty sitting, of course you are uh, uh, very welcome. I understand uh, <coughs> from um, one person who kindly uh, looked on their phone <coughs> about the, the weather. <coughs> And at the moment, it appears like there will be more rain in the morning. And sunshine will be back with us at two in the afternoon. Um, it was, as we say in English, at least for myself today, a kind of what we call a red-letter day, which means a very unusual one, because in the regular visits, 26 years to uh, uh, Israel and to Palestine, that it was the first time ever that I had a raincoat on in this country. Wow. <laughs> uh, and I've written and told my uh, daughter of this uh, incredible news. <laughs> All right. So on the, on, uh, on the theme, a little bit of... Uh, background here uh, with you a little bit of some of the aspects with regard to mindfulness in uh, fresh ways and a little bit with regard to the program here I'll endeavour to weave this together so with the program uh, uh, first that since the the spark of the original uh, idea, discussing this with Dharma f uh, friends initially, actually initially at the end of the retreat in uh, Saranath, India, a couple of years ago, and then further on from uh, uh, Totnes. I employed and used the word uh, mindfulness for two or three reasons. Uh, one of them that out of the Dharma tradition, the uh, Buddhist tradition, currently it is the word which has landed well with many, many people. It's estimated two or three million people in the last generation have been on some kind of mindfulness course or program uh, in, uh, in the West, 
we see also its direct application um, into a wide variety of circumstances in the public and private uh, uh, sector. So in establishing, uh, with the good support of my co-teachers, the um, MTTC, Mindfulness Teacher Training uh, course, that the intentionality was that for those as yourselves coming to participate may find through your own creative ways the use of mindfulness practices which might include for you the word mindfulness. And because it's gained a certain genuine credibility and the credibility is because the evidence uh, is showing for plenty of people the real benefits uh, of mindfulness practice in various ways. And I can remember when um, one of the important influences uh, of this, of John, John Kabat-Zinn, on a retreat in the late 1970s, having this idea of applying mindfulness, coming to myself as the teacher on that retreat, asking me what my view was, uh, giving him support to set up a mindfulness program, and I gave him as much encouragement as I could uh, on, on that retreat, partly because he's a very dedicated meditator and, uh, uh, and had a lot of really good insights and wisdom, and partly because he worked at uh, the Worcester Medical uh, University Hospital uh, there as a medical uh, scientist. And he put this program uh, together, and in a communications at that time and uh, when he first start when he first started he said john said to me he went to the doctors and said to the doctors look there are patients who come to you with pain there are patients i know who come to you who have been in hospital still in pain there are patients who come who are unhappy and stressed out and depressed and pain and pain due to post-operative conditions. He said, I think I have some good practices which uh, really could be helpful. And the doctor says, please, take them. <laughs> because the medication simply, in plenty, plenty of cases, simply was not working. And so the outcome of that... John said to me, he established a 10-week course in the basement of the hospital there, and it was a two-hour program, and with his knowledge of research and the skills that were required, he, he interviewed each patient, if I remember rightly, for at least an hour to ensure that they would have the motivation to be committed to the 10 weeks and the homework of sitting and doing mindfulness practices, meditation practices that you and I know very well, and using movement uh, as well. And then putting that research together, it touched people, and more and more people, patients, heard. And then that, from that initiative, it began to expand 
and then the next step his first um, secretary was Brian Tucker uh, who's also a very good uh, uh, friend of mine 30, 40 uh, years or, or more and uh, other friends and in getting this established program established they then began to use videos and then from there it began to be more training and from there the MBSR and, and much much more and I just use it as a small example that an initiative comes, it starts in a small way, a small group of people working together with some guidance, in this case using mindfulness to work with stress, to work with physical pain and so forth. People getting the benefits and then the word itself just generating uh, uh, around. And of course, though some people will say, oh, mindfulness was founded in America in the late 1970s excuse me it was 2,600 years ago and probably the Buddha, the Buddha got it from somewhere else it, I hardly imagine that in the application of it uh, there the outreach and the exploration is what I want to touch with you uh, uh, this evening in a variety of ways and the initial in a very practical way with mindfulness is it saves us from suffering and pain by being mindful and you and I well know in unmindful moments how things can go wrong and sometimes that going wrong we're unmindful and we hit the car in front of us we're uh, uh, unmindful and we uh, uh, step on a rock and, t- and twist the ankle we're, um, we're, we're unmindful and we lose something which is really of value value uh, there my, my precious uh, uh, daughter with the kids a few years ago she put her purse on top of the car yeah you you this is the voice of experience here Um, put the purse on top of the car getting all the kids into the car got into the car and where's the purse and then of course gone to the gods wherever it might be so there's the very practical aspects of the application of mindfulness it is the bringing of attention to the specific to stay in touch with things to save us from grief from anguish from hurting ourselves from hurting others so there's a a protective element with the mindfulness and of course it's obviously a very very important feature of the mindfulness uh, there but in its expansion further then it comes into being a more conscious uh, human being and that consciousness is both with regard to the present, to the past, and to the, f- to the future. That application uh, in those uh, three a- areas with, uh, with the mindfulness requires an energy and an interest. In other words, for the faculty of mindfulness to arise and to have some steadiness, it requires 
the support of other aspects of the being to actually allow and enable the mindfulness to be present. If one just relies on the act of the will, in the language of the should, I should be more mindful there, it might work, but it will only work for the length of time that the willpower has the determination to hold the mindfulness. I must be mindful, whatever that might be about. But then the mindfulness, being dependent on one movement of the mind, the willpower, will collapse. And part of the reason, not because it's intentional, because the act of the will is tiring. And in the tiredness, the mindfulness will begin to fade, and then there is more vulnerability to making mistakes, to things going wrong, etc., it might be necessary in the application of the mindfulness internally at times for it to be an act of the will. Sometimes we cannot afford to be tired. Sometimes we really have got to be present for whatever uh, it may be about. But the easiest and the very best support for mindfulness as an expression of uh, clarity in living, to repeat, it requires some energy. It requires uh, interest. It re requires uh, from us uh, a presence. It, requir it requires from us an interest in the other or uh, oneself. It also, quite often as well, it requires for the mindfulness certain kinds of forms, I've got in mind here physical forms, to let the mindfulness flow through more easily. To take a very simple example there, if <coughs> I am, as a human being, feeling a bit bored, a bit dull, not feeling very interested, feeling a bit low energy, the actual body will take, start to take the shape of the state of mind. The slump, the feeling a bit low, feeling yawning, feeling loss of energy, etc. And the body begins to adapt, like I'm doing right now uh, with you. And if there's just enough mindfulness to change to this. Just a matter of a few centimetres of a shift in the posture can bring about a shift in the energy and immediately the straight spine, the sitting tall, the top of the head closer to uh, the ceiling, the expansion of the being there, that mindfulness immediately is back. Not that one has done anything except change the posture. The other, with the mindfulness as well, the, the priority and the uh, appli application of it, and to repeat, because it's in conjunction 
with uh, other factors to enable the uh, mindfulness to develop and the mindfulness to be uh, applied. It is not a purpose of mindfulness to endeavour to be mindful in every moment. And the reason that is not a priority because it's a romantic ideal. It's not possible. (coughs) Nobody on this, at least I haven't met, and I've been moving in mindfulness circles since my early 20s. I have not met here or there anyone who is mindful all the time. Um, I missed the word. And (laughs) we assume that. (laughs) And the and the teachings state uh, uh, there. I'm just going to quote the Buddha on this one here. One applies mindfulness. The language is to the extent necessary. Essentially what that means, we're coming back to trust now, that though as a human being I can't be mindful in every moment of everything of which I do, but there can be enough trust and enough wisdom to give the being the protection, as much as we can, the protection that we need so that if one is moving to something foolish or something naive, or being too hurried, or in danger of hurting oneself or others, the mindfulness to the extent necessary is that there is enough receptivity, even if we're somewhat unmindful, for something to come in and oh, and arrest the attention, to make us stop. And that, to the extent necessary, gives us some protection and gives others the regularity of the explorations of the mindfulness and the methods and uh, uh, techniques also contributes to enhancing other areas. And what what I uh, mean by this, if I'm interested in life, a key factor to be interested will be to see more. And consumerism is dependent on people seeing less. Consumerism is a compensation for what is not seen and appreciated. And when human beings are not conscious and are not present and are not alert to what is not purchasable, which is not buyable, and not receiving the nourishment from life itself there is a feeling of something missing there is a gap in one's life there is a loss there is a separation because one is not connected with life and the outcome of that one still needs some pleasantness of human experience indispensable for our existence and when we're not getting it from the flowers and the trees and the sky and the and each other, and friendships, and nature, and mm, and much, and the aesthetics, and the arts, and much, much more. We're not getting it there. We think 
we'll get it in the supermarket. We think we'll get it in those the the in the plastic stuff wrapped around the meat there of poor animals who've had their legs and, and bodies cut up uh, for the market. We think we'll we'll get it in the new car and and, and uh, the expensive holiday in which all the holiday places, these hotels, are all the same, all by the sea, with a devastating cost to the local communities. Devastating, because the money comes in and those hoteliers, those chains, they take the money out from the people. So, uh, but if in our life the interest is with life and, and each other and respect and sensitivity there, the interest in ownership and possession goes down correspondingly to that which nourishes us in other ways. There is no point, from a standpoint of society, of you and I complaining about consumerism and about capitalism and about everything else that goes with it if one does not have the alternative. The alternative has to be pronounced. Because without the pronunciation and the articulation of the alternatives to the system, to all that you and I are hearing about um, uh, uh, every day in the wonderful uh, uh, talk this afternoon from Marie, such an important uh, reminder to us, that if we don't touch upon and explore and register and find out the alternatives to that, what it leaves with people is that the world is only a suffering place and the impression which is left for the person is of despair. And the despair cripples the energy, it cripples the mindfulness and it becomes an actual weight on consciousness. And the weight of despair, of helplessness, Gradually, the weight of that leads to a depressed existence. When a human being is living in a depressed way, in a depressed existence, one might think death would be more attractive because life is so miserable. But it's quite the opposite reaction because the human being, in their unhappiness and their their feeling depressed uh, with life, Deep down, the person, she, he, they, we, whoever, know one has missed out on life. And then death is going to take away the opportunity to live the life. And people who have led a mindful life, a rich life, an intimate uh, life, who have experienced the fullness of life, have explored it and understood it, have little or no fear of death because they've understood it, they've explored it, they felt it and, and enjoyed it and acknowledged that life supports death and death supports life and these are inseparable events. In the exploration of the mindfulness in the standpoint of there, one of the other key factors 
not only to nourish in ourselves, but to nourish uh, with each other, part of our discourse, uh, is in being mindful of a situation, whatever that situation may be, it is quite often for us the first step towards change. We're mindful of something, we see something is happening, we're mindful, or uh, the Buddha commented regularly enough, one is mindful of what is present. Regularly said, one is mindful of what is not present. It's also important. Mindfulness is not just just about being in the present moment. I mean, that's one feature of, of it. But sometimes you're mindful of what is not present there. And this application of what is not present, which could be happiness, it could be creativity, it could be service to others, and uh, much, much more. Then, that mindfulness of what's lacking or missing in our life, the mindfulness then is to invite an inquiry and an investigation so how can that which is missing and lacking and not present be, be present? What are the changes which need to take place so that which is missing is available and accessible? We may not have the tools directly for that. We may not even know how to investigate, how to inquire. So the cooperation with each other, is the, in the interchange and the inter-exploration between each other can generate the fresh idea. It's extraordinary when in the meeting place of people coming uh, uh, together, and if I may say, in a small way, our program is not... Christopher didn't, is not the architect of the program, it's just a, it's a fiction... It was a pooling and discussing of what could be done, how can we do it, what would be the the form, who would come, how much time, what would be the timetable. I mean, hundreds of hours uh, in one modest uh, event. But it came because we were sparking with each other and taking notes there. And out out of that, slowly, slowly, out of the seeds of the idea, the form came. And that... It's because we wish to be as caring and thoughtful and supportive to each other and then others. Ex- and then it began to expand and your good presence and uh, others as well. So communication, connection is a real feature of mindfulness. And if something isn't happening for you, the mindfulness in a way of the situation is saying it's not happening for me. Therefore, I need to support and the connection with us to make it something happen. It's just the generating of the idea and the authentic idea leads to action without a gap. It, lead, it leads, it leads uh, somewhere. And sometimes in, in this, we might make mistakes. We might... you know get lost a bit, but if we've got some friends around, they will check in with us as, uh, as well. And sometimes, even with our loved ones, we have to encourage them to 
do things and live their life and, and learn over those of us who are parents or with our grandchildren. To learn life is to take steps and to take risks. And we had this lovely talk yesterday, yesterday evening on vulnerability. It's an ability to be vulnerable. It's a certain trust and confidence to, to get in a sinking boat and, 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 and cross <laughs> one island to another with a couple of guys with a couple of buckets at night. So sometimes we just need, need, need to take that. My, um, my, da- my uh, daughter, who my, my friends tell me, Christopher, we know your family's life because we've been listening to you for 30 or 40 years and they always get that mention. And just must be three weeks ago, my, my, my daughter rings me up. My grandson is uh, 17 years old in uh, January. Yeah. And his birthday is rather precious in, uh, in our family. Um, <clears throat> I wonder why. But he shares the same birthday as Martin Luther King. He also shares the same birthday as uh, one of the goddesses of my life, and that is El Eti Hillesum, the uh, young 27-year-old Jewish woman um, in Amsterdam who took, uh, who was quite extraordinary in her fearlessness in dealing with the Nazi occupation, and of course, she was sent to Westerbork, the transition camp, and then, and, and then to uh, uh, Auschwitz. So my grandson, this is the story, my grandson, 17 years of age, and the, I've mentioned to before, the, the grandkids are Caribbean uh, uh, English, uh, decided with his friend that he wanted to go to Amsterdam for the weekend. And the Sean rang, oh, what do you think? I'm a bit concerned. It'd be the first time he's been out of the country at, 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 by himself without his mum, or he's, he's been with me on trips and blah, blah. Uh, do you think it's all right for him to go? You have to take risks. He's 17. He wants, wants to go. And he's, you know, he's a fine young guy. He'll, he'll, he'll be fine. So... Okay, okay. So my daughter took them to Gatwick Airport, and it's about a 35 minute flight to Amsterdam. And he promised faithfully, yes, yes, we're staying in this hostel with other young people. I'll text you, don't worry, mum, I know what WhatsApp is, you know, etc. And then the following, on the Sunday night, she goes down to the airport to pick him up. I, I, had, I had to smile she said to him because she, she was very relieved happy all went well they had a great time etc and then she said to him did you go to the red light district <laughs> <laughs> and he repli- and then he, he replied he said I am totally against the objectification of a woman's body <laughs> And then she, then the shoulder laughed, and she said to him, "I didn't ask you that. <laughs> did, did you go to the red light district?" And he said, 
Well, just for a quick look. (laughs) 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 I know some people might feel a little uh, uncomfortable, but... And one could put it down to some inquiry, (laughs) a little curiosity, or or whatever it might be. But sometimes in in life, uh, there's a interest, there's a movement uh, that goes on with us and somehow um, we have to find out for ourselves sometimes we have to take some steps we have to be a little bit vulnerable we have to get a bit of whatever, not in, uh, not in the family case in this case, but disapproval from the parents or whatever it might, whatever, uh, uh, it, it might be there's something in the yearning of the human spirit that keeps something uh, uh, alive that we want to see, to experience, to learn and to uh, know about. And I think we need to, to really trust in, in that there. And I think that mindfulness of these uh, responses in life to uh, uh, events, and sometimes it, it, the responses are so deep uh, with, with us, we kind of go beyond, so to speak, our ordinary mind. We really see something has to be done. And sometimes we can't easily explain it to ourselves, let alone uh, there. And of course, the, the, the history in this case with Gautama, by any standards, it's an act of irresponsibility. He's married, his wife uh, Yashodara, He's just become a father. There, the, the little baby is a, a week old. Uh, there, he's in. He's twenty-nine years of age. He's he's in a crisis. He feels trapped. He senses there's some other way of uh, of life. Something's happened uh, there. He reported he couldn't bear the night he left to bring back. Uh, the bed cover to look at the child's face, the baby, baby, his son's face, in case he changed his mind. And sometimes, though we, I must say, God, yeah, yeah, another typical father who never was had no response, had no responsibility. I can speak from experience here because I never met my father. He didn't want to know. He, not, not a word. Uh, uh, etc. He knew where I was, but he didn't want to know. And sometimes, in some some situations, for some people, the movement in the inner uh, inner life doesn't fit in with the social conventions. It doesn't fit in with the kind of agreements of how we should be. But it might require from us some risk taking. We might have to attend to some disapproval, of course. But we're mindful of something more than that. More than the family approval. More than what we are told is what a good life is about. And then the mindfulness of what matters to us has and carries within it uh, a seed of liberation. And we may not necessarily be able to explain to ourselves where this came from, 
how this arose uh, in, inside of us. It may well be for some that in the exploration where there is a service to uh, others uh, take, taking place and the sense of the spiritual you, perhaps you're a yoga teacher perhaps you're a, a therapist perhaps you're a counsellor perhaps you're a political activist perhaps you're a group leader perhaps you're involved in an organisation or, or, or network and one begins to get a sense that in that world of that institution, that educational department, that particular business or that particular work activity, you begin, the mindfulness has expanded so that you have a sense of something more than what is available. This is an important aspect of mindfulness. One has a sense that the mindfulness... That means being mindful of doesn't require any not talking about any special training, not any not even the use of the word mindfulness, not referring to technique here. But the mindfulness that means consciousness with some energy and interest has expanded out further than what's shown or even spoken about. And you get a sense there is something unspoken not referred to, not addressed, which needs to be. And this willingness to allow the mindfulness to expand out into the unspoken, the unreferred to, the marginalised, or even the denied, whatever it uh, might, might be, it genuinely takes some boldness on our part to bring whatever that is about out into the open, there will be risk. It could cost you your job. It could cost you promotion. You could be, um, as we say in English, sent to Coventry. I don't know why they had to choose Coventry. But <laughs> it, it, it means your colleagues don't want to speak to you, whatever it, it, it might be. Your family think you're crazy, or whatever. But one the mindfulness of the situation which is which has and is expanding carries with it the more clarity that one has with whatever it might be a duty a test of one's integrity an authenticity to find a way to address that which has not been addressed. And anyone for any sustained commitment in any area of life there will begin to recognise and acknowledge there is something more. It could be the corporate, in a corporation, in a business. Whether or not you or I we're actually employed in it, but there may be things which we begin to know. <clears throat> and then it expresses our concern. A friend in Germany working in that 
one of those huge warehouses in Amazon there, there on very minimal pay with immense pressure going along uh, with it <coughs> stopped in the corridor where all these goods are and spoke just for a matter of seconds to a colleague coming in the other direction. They shared just a few words together. And the surveillance cameras in the upper part of Amazon there and a loudspeaker came down will number whatever it was come straight away to the office the person she told me she was called to the office and they said to her this is the last warning she hadn't hadn't happened before so it was for the that if this happens uh, again, you will be fired because you are wasting company time. And when people are living in this kind of pressure and stress, while the owner of the business is now said to be the world's richest man, and why is this the world's richest man, this man Bowers, why is the world's richest man? Because he's taking it from the poor. That's what's made them wealthy. And that sense of concern, as one uh, uh, ex uh, example, requires us as human beings to see what mindful steps we can make to really address these, this kind of disparity and where the wealth gap is getting bigger and bigger. In Britain... The gap between the wealthy and the poor is the greatest since the 1880s. That's gaps we're talking about. In the world of the community of the businesses, with the mindfulness world itself, it's to find ways, to explore ways, whether we're the consumer, the buyer or the employee to find ways within the conversations and the networks to address the issues which are of concern. One is, if it's in terms of goods, what are the goods? What is the origin of the goods? What is the relationship to money and the distribution of the money in terms of what the lowest paid receive anywhere in the world. It has to be part of the exploration of mindfulness expanding itself. What are the ethics there? What is the relationship of the staff? Are the staff having an opportunity to be on the board as it does take place in some countries like Germany? Is the board and the staff and the shareholders meeting together to share and discuss ways and means to make this a thoughtful, environmentally friendly, sustainable uh, company? Is the company talking about its footprints on this earth? 
Is it talking about the waste that it produces and what happens to it? Is it talking about the number of hours that the staff are working? Many, many aspects. So once we, employee or buyer, have some knowledge about things there, that initial mindfulness then can be the step to seeing what the voice is, what can be stated. When millions of people are struggling to make ends meet. In Britain, the vast majority of people in Britain are in debt. More than 50% of the people have less, at any given time, less than £250 in the bank. A friend of mine got on the bus and in London... And by mistake, she bought a ticket and didn't realise that she had spent a pound more there. And she mentioned it to the conductor. She said, I bought a ticket, but I'm getting off the bus early and I spent more than a pound. And he said to her, this is what he said to her, the bus driver, here is a form. You can get that pound back. He said, a pound is a lot of money. It, and it just reflects how people are, are struggling pennies by pennies to survive and, 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 and to live while the corporations themselves are avoiding paying their taxes by every means possible, They're stacking up huge amounts of money and then they're setting up these charities and foundations They're not donating anything. They're giving back a little bit of what they took illegally in the first place from the people. They're not generous. They're just returning uh, a little bit of it. And so the exploration of questioning, inquiry and concerns and change and uh, uh, social change, all of that, to me, it's obvious. It's compassion. It's compassion for the single mothers, it's compassion for the elderly and the poor pensions, it's com- compassion for those, the Chinese workers who are working 12-hour shifts in these uh, mobile phone factories and elsewhere, where you're not allowed to go in and film, you're not al- no camera crews are allowed in these places, because they don't want the public to know what this product is and how it got to be where it is. It's not there. Though. You're not, not allowed into the, into the factory farms because they don't want the people to know the, the treatment of the animals and the birds and the fish farms. They don't want people to know. It's all kept out there. But they're all hell realms. And when, when a friend of mine from Sweden who secretly filmed in, um, in uh, uh, China... <coughs> and had a meeting and had a look around in the room where the Chinese factories workers, it's three bunks, three bunks, <coughs> tiny room, and you can just walk down the middle, and when one factory worker gets off the bunk, the other one gets into it. That's their life. 
but we're not supposed to know these things. This is all kept hidden, hidden, hidden from us there. And this responsibility of compassion is not a, a sweet, nice little self-compassion uh, uh, exercise, which is a, a, such a distraction from what compassion is really, uh, really about. It's really finding our voice. It's expressing our vulnerability. It's listening to good discourse of neoliberalism as we heard today and m- many other themes that, that you've been speaking about. And, now, and then, we, then we work and we cooperate together. And out of that, we start some movements, we start some change. We, we say, this cannot go on like this. We are living under the, the globally, under the most oppressive system imaginable. And we're distracted from it by consumerism. It's a genuinely tough one to uh, uh, work with. And yet, despite all of that, and the <coughs> just warming up here, but I'm going to finish off in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> despite, despite, despite all of that, which I find and others find uh, again and again, that. Out of the sharings and the communications and the creative ideas which uh, come, and out of uh, a great practice of radical non-acceptance. <laughs> that, that's, that's the view that I take. A radical <laughs> non-acceptance of these uh, uh, things. And therefore the contribution through seeing the alternatives. And it's, it's out of the alternatives uh, uh, taking place and there are groups there are some wonderful scholars in the uh, universities um, there are and, and academics and educationalists and new kinds of schools and different kinds of programs and, and courses and much much uh, else which is going on which is in seed form it's there but don't we have to look around and see what's going on. And there's a tremendous amount which is going on. And to keep faith and trust, it might be ignored by the media, and much of it, uh, of it actually is, but it's having a, a trust and a determination in all of this. And perhaps then we, with the resources from the mindfulness programme, from your retreats, from your wealth of experiences and a whole variety of fields and tremendous wealth in this uh, hall here can really give support to the activists, really give support to the environmentalists, really give support to those working for social change, really give support to those who are really caring for their, lo- for their loved ones, really give support my my. Um, uh, back to the uh, family my uh, uh, daughter's had two as two children and then the relationship ended and the mother and then her ex who's a precious guy had a new uh, new relationship and the little baby was born with a severe skin disease. And the 
The outcome of this, she's now a, a single mother, and this little one is about six years of age. Every two hours or so, of every day of every week, she has to turn the little boy over, or he wakes up from the irritation, and she has to soak, put all this cream uh, around him to minimise the uh, irritation, and she does that every two hours of every day. We sometimes, we have no idea of the dedication that one person is offering to another. And we live in this kind of kind of bubble sometimes. And we need to really listen. And, and sometimes, I'm sure that mother needs a night off, a day off, a week, a week off. She needs people who will come and say, look, I'll, I'll make friends with the little one. I'll give the support so you can have a proper rest and sleep. We, we need this outreach, compassion there because we are mindful of people's situations and we recognise that that compassion is not only is for the individual, it's for the group and it's for the oppressed and it's for, and it's for those who are suffering under occupation and it's for those who uh, really need support and it's also for those where change is needed in the political uh, corporate world. And our resources, to repeat, our working together, our commitment and the skills that we have, we can give support to those who are feeling the stress of serving others. Mm-hmm. Feeling the hardship of their dedication to others and simply don't have the, re- the resources, they don't know they don't have the tools for relaxation, to reduce the stress, to be more at peace with themselves, to find the energy to go back and to really serve those who are in, in, in real need. And we, every one of us in this room, is really blessed because we do have resources. We do have methods. We do have the languages. We do have the knowledges and the experiences. And, and, and we can be, amongst many others, a tremendous resource and support for those who really need our support. And that's part of what this programme is about. Mm-hmm. But thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had an applause for about 20 years. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a quiet minute together, shall we? Thank you.
May all beings live mindful lives. May all beings extend empathy and support for others. May all beings live with wisdom and compassion. So the time has uh, just turned um, 